I don't know how many of you are still awake, so I'll uh, test your uh, wakefulness. We've been praying the ninth hour, and we've prayed three psalms, which I'm trying to find out now. Okay. In one of them, David says, uh, David the prophet says to the Lord, or he, he's saying, how can I pay the Lord back? For all what he has given me. Do you remember that bit? Put up your hand if you remember that bit. David was saying in the psalm, How can I pay the Lord back for all what he has done to me? What was the answer that he came up with? What did he find? A prison? No, that wasn't that bit. Sorry, Diana. Yeah, someone said it in Arabic. I'm trying to find it now. I'm looking a bit embarrassed. Uh, which psalm was it? Yeah, he said, the cup of salvation I take, basically. So, isn't that strange a bit? So, you're thinking, if I want to thank somebody and pay him back, I would buy him something, isn't it? But I felt this kind of um, ties into what we were talking about. That even the, the Prophet saying, if, how can I pay the Lord back? The only thing that pleases him is that I actually receive his salvation and live it. Isn't it amazing? So if Shadi buys me something and I want to pay him back, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm just going to buy him a present. Imagine if I say the best thing to do is to receive his gift and enjoy it. Doesn't make sense. But God is clear. This is what, what would please me. Is that you receive my free justification and my free gift and enjoy it. And this is what the, the psalm says. I take the cup of salvation. I receive that. And I call upon his name. So, the, 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 the talk will be building on one, what Abuna said this morning. And uh, obviously I will need your attention because I think the best thing to do is to make it a discussion. Otherwise, uh, I will lose you. So, um, I think... Oh, the way I thought about the talk is to ask you that question. I'm not sure if you're ready to answer that. But I'm going to test that. Um, take a minute to answer this question for me. What do you think are the most important thing? A couple of things. That you need to do, based on what we talked uh, about, to have the Lord Jesus in your heart. What do you think the, the, the top priority, two things, that you need to do to have the Lord Jesus in your heart? Okay? I'll give you one minute to think about the top two things. Don't tell me the list of well-rehearsed everything, uh, the prescription that we have. I want you to think of the, things, the two things that you think are the top, the top two things that you, you can come up with to have, that you should do to have the Lord, or you can do to have the Lord Jesus living in your heart. Okay? Let me give you another few seconds. Okay, put up your hand if you've come up with uh, two already. Or one at least. One, two, two, one. Some have, some still. Was it an easy, was it an easy uh, question? Was it easy to think of a couple of things? Some are smiling at me, I don't know why. I don't know what that means. Was it easy? Are you struggling with the question? 
Why? Yeah. Is that everyone's struggle? You try and summarize them into two? Or find the, the most important two? So you thought of the two commands, okay. Anyone thought of two? Mani- uh, don't tell me what they were, but did you manage to get two? Did you? Some nods? Yeah, I don't understand it either. How, how did you agree on that question in the, first, in the first instance? We've been talking all this morning that this gift of Christ in us is a free gift. And yet you're still thinking of two things that you should do to get Christ in your heart or to have Christ in your heart. How did you agree with me on the question? What about the participation? Okay, that's, that's an important point that I, even Abuna asked me to, to dwell on a bit. Well, how about my role? But as we said, my role will never buy Christ and get Him to, to live in me. Believing in the gift, believing in having Christ in me is the only thing that can actually make me get in touch with Christ in me. But if, we have, if we're still doubting that Christ is alive in me and He lives in my heart, then there is something for me to work on this conference. Something for me to think about. Mark? I was thinking that it could be very difficult to... Because I agree when it says, what can I do? But I think that there's no formula. To, to reach him about his mind or Natanias or how many prayers do I have to actually ask him because he's got the key to my heart so he knows how to lock it I, I, can't, I can't open it yeah, but he, as you rightly say, there's no there's no prescription that I should do that could make make Christ come and live in my heart because He's already given me this gift for free to live in my heart, and this is what Saint Paul says in Corinthians that Christ is in you. Christ is in you. I've got the 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 thirteen five. First. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13.5 Christ in you this is the gift if you are still thinking of ways to get it then you need to, to examine your uh, um, your understanding of, the f- of how free this is Shadi maybe you're right maybe I certainly for myself misunderstood the question because when in a sense in the morning we spoke about having faith to be justified faith is given we don't generate faith, faith is given and we need to accept it and in grace we need to obviously activate that grace and be able to access it and this, this is what I thought about the two things you need to do but maybe I misunderstood the question No, yeah, I think the most important bit of the question is you know, and that we should all know, that there is nothing that I can do that can actually uh, buy this gift of having Christ in my heart I can't buy it, I can't, pay, I can't earn it, it's been given Peter. I'm going to be a little bit controversial here and Please. say, actually, I need to accept it. So I think still I have to accept it. I, I, I have got part of the acceptance. Absolutely. Accepting it doesn't buy it though, doesn't earn it though. So if, if a rich man says to you, you know what, Peter, I know how poor you are and I have great compassion over you, here's a check with three million pounds. Okay? Taking the check to the bank, withdrawing the cash, is accepting it. But you, your acceptance is not the one that made the father give you that check. Does that make clear? Yeah. So, no matter how much you've done, this is not the reason why the father decided to give you his son. His only begotten son, to live in you. 
Your, your work, your acceptance is how you are cashing this, how you are in, engaging with the sun, how you are actually allowing the sun to imprint his image on your behaviors, your thoughts, your mind becoming the mind of Christ. Does that make sense, Peter? Okay. The, the, the reason I chose this is it's a verse, again, that we will come across under the law or under the grace. As we said this in the morning, again, I'm not going to repeat that. What is the grace? We've talked about the definition of the grace, and I'm going to remind you of what Abuna said, that it's the life of Christ Himself. So in Romans uh, 5 it says, For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. So again, this is important, because a lot of us think that what salvation is, is only the cross. A lot of us think that the cross is salvation. And we don't see that it's the whole life of Christ, including the cross, is my salvation. So my, my, my Savior gave me His entire life. Not just the cross. That was part of the salvation. And again, the same thing. By one man, Jesus Christ, the grace abounded unto many. Again, same uh, Romans 5. And this is why I chose the verse. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. And we will talk a little bit about this uh, today. Because I think this is one of the main controversial bits that we've had this morning. And as I say, as you listen to conversations that we've been having, we are realizing more how a lot of us are actually living under the, the law and not under the grace. Okay? What is the law? For people to be clear. The law, as it says in Deuteronomy 4, Now Israel, listen. Listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God is giving you. So these are the law, this is what St. Paul refers to. The law, the statutes and judgment that God has given to His people. That's easy. St. Paul tells us that by the law or through the law is the knowledge of sin. Again, listen to what St. Paul says in Romans 3. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. And we elaborated on this in our workshops. That no matter how much you do, you cannot be justified in the eyes of God. The only thing that can justify you is... Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that can give you this righteousness and this justification. Does that make sense? I'm just going to go through this quickly. So, is the law wrong? If now St. Paul is telling us and teaching us and the church teaching us that it's not about the commandments that gives you the justification. It's not the do's and don'ts anymore. It's a free gift of God. So is the law wrong? Is it wrong to think about do's and don'ts in my life? Because that question came, um, came about in a number of workshops. And I hope that we, we all um, come up with answers to this. So is the law wrong? Before we look at what St. Paul said, I want to hear from you. Do you think the idea of the law was wrong? To have a set of laws and commandments? They are there to guide the people. Okay. But if I don't tell you what is right and what is wrong, 
When I give you the bricks, you don't understand that either. So I need to highlight first where you're going wrong. So when I give you something, you'll understand my justification. Okay, that's a very good point. St. Paul tells us that the, the law worked like an x-ray, not treatment. It was an x-ray to show us where we're going wrong. So that we know that we need the grace of God to fulfill the law. And as somebody uh, from you said this morning, when God asks me to do something, and as St. Augustine said, when, so- when God asks me to do something, He is not telling me, do it on your own and come and show me the outcome. He's actually telling me, I am giving you this commandment because I want you to ask for the grace, the power to do it. I'm wanting you to desire the power in you that can actually make you do this and if you ask for it, you'll be able to fulfill it. And this, this makes us understand a lot of the commandments in the New Testament that sound really unbelievable and supernatural. Stuff that you think, no, no one can do this. And unfortunately, a lot of atheists, when you look, they looked at the commandments of the Lord Jesus, they decided to reject faith because they thought that this is supernatural. To love somebody, to love your enemies, to turn the cheek, the other cheek, this is beyond anyone's capacity. This is unbelievable. This is wrong. But actually, they don't understand the basis. And that's why understanding the grace makes the commandments sound different and puts the law into perspective. Because now I know... The Lord is not asking me to do this on my own, but He's giving me Jesus in me, so I can do this. As St. Paul says in Philippians, that the Lord who lives in us is the one who has given us the ability to will and do. He's the one who's given us this. And that's why, if you find somebody who's living in an unholy life, some of you might think, maybe because he's indulging in the grace indulging in this free gift business and there's no rules in his life I argue the opposite some of you this morning thought if you keep sort of believing this lovely, nice, kind, free grace it will lead you to laziness, unholy, sexual immorality do whatever you want I argue the opposite I actually argue that this style of life, lazy, reckless, is a result of not understanding the justification or the grace properly. It's actually selective understanding. I took one bit of it, but don't, don't want to see the rest of it. Which is, when God has given me this free justification, is to bear fruit, is to use it, is to grow in it, is to invest in it, is to engage with it. You remember the parable that the Lord said in John 15? When he is saying that the tree that bears fruit, he would prune. But the tree that doesn't bear fruit, he would cut it or he would uproot it. He's talking about the fruits here. Because people ask, what's the point of working hard? What's the point of praying or fasting? If you have the right foundation of the grace and the free justification, you will do this on, a, on the right foundation, it will bear fruit in you and in the church. Let me give you another example. A big word in our life starts with the word, with the letter G. Can you think of it? Something that torments us and makes us feel down and makes us feel guilt. Guilt. A lot of, if we don't understand the justification of the Lord that is free, 90% of what we will offer to God will be out of guilt guilt how lovely is that 
Imagine if my wife is doing the stuff that she's doing because she feels guilty that I'm doing a lot and she's not doing her job. Do you think I'll be happy? Do you think I'll feel fantastic that she's offered me stuff out of guilt? Let me ask you another question. What is the main purpose of behaviors based on guilt? Satisfying the person or God? Satisfying yourself. You want to feel better. So as a husband, I would say to my wife, excuse me, you're doing this out of guilt. You want to prove yourself right. You want to feel better. You're not doing it for me. Does that make sense? Does that explain the question, why, why we need to work? Actually, because if we understand the grace and the justification properly, it will only lead to energy. Energy of love. To work more. I'll give you a third example. I worked... I've been working in NHS now for 12 years. And I'm sure you have more experience than me uh, in terms of work and stuff. So you, you'd recite more examples. But let me give you two examples in my work. Working with a boss who is very micromanaging, critical, scrutinizing the work, looks at the emails I send, checks my timetable, checks that I'm working hard. How do you think, how much do you think I loved work? And how much effort do you think I put into work? Five o'clock on the dot. I'm out. If I have um, what you call a protected time for learning, I want it by the minute. I want my rights. And we'll see here, St. Paul calls that a relationship based on debt. So you give me, I give you. I'm giving you hard work, you give me my salary. That's it. But listen to this. When I work with a different boss, trusting, loving, giving me money to do business, to develop the service, giving me resources, saying to me, oh, you need two nurses with you in that team? Yeah, we'll give you that. I believe in what you're doing. Yeah, take that. Do you think I worked harder or less? Much harder. Do you think I loved work? So, does that free grace lead to laziness, complacency, or the opposite? Because I know I'm accepted. I know she's not checking my emails. I know she is not scrutinizing my work in a critical, judgmental way at all. I know there's trust and love and acceptance. So I'm free. And this is my second point. Sorry, I'm digressing a bit. Believing that grace and justification sets you free to love properly and work properly and offer pure gifts to God rather than based on ones based on guilt. Does that make sense? Does that answer some of the questions that came up in the, in the workshops? Any questions so far? Ramon. Is there just one reason to, um, to do things like, like you said there's the feeling of guilt makes you do things, um, or like the free will to do things like this um, freedom, but there's not a lot of reasons to do things for, for God? Like give me wrong, wrong reasons or good reasons? Give me an example. I've, um, I'm uh, cornering you here. <laughs> so. Like feeling guilty for people. That's like also a reason to do good things. It has nothing to do with God in this, at this moment. No? So if you haven't... If you haven't if, I don't know, it's, oh, I shouldn't be moving. If you haven't like a, a sympathy for people or pity for somebody, is that what you're saying? 
and you're offering love to somebody. Um, so are you arguing this is um, opening up the question? I'm just saying it's like this, just not like one thing. Who makes you do? Yeah, no, I'm, I've, I've recited this example of guilt because it's a big thing. Um, and I think it's, put up your hand if you think you've been through doing things, um, praying, liturgy, confession out of guilt. Uh, of course I've done it. It's that niggling feeling that I, I need to prove myself and I need to make him feel better that I've upset him and that I feel, I feel bad for upsetting God and I need... Guys, I'm not talking foreign language here. We have been through this, that we are doing things to make God less upset. Oh, you have a question? I can't see <laughs> this side. I've got a question there, but it's okay. Um, like, related to that, how do we ever achieve purity of heart if we don't... Like, if I'm praying because I feel guilty, because I feel like I should pray, but I'll never get to the point where I'm praying in a pure of heart way because I'm enjoying it and I want to, unless I pray, so it's kind of like... Have to pray. Yeah, that's a very good point. Again, it's, uh, I'm not blaming you at all, but uh, the guilty conscience is again feeling, but if I'm not doing this and I need to make a start, how am I going to be pure without praying? What I want everyone to know is actually, it's a journey. So I'm not saying, if you feel that you are doing, or you have been doing things out of guilt, it's not a message for you to say that you are wrong, you've been doing it wrong all those years, wake up, God hasn't heard anything that you've said. This is again the old man way of thinking. But a father's way of thinking is, this is a journey, you need to abandon your old man's way, you need to abandon doing things out of guilt, and you need to start... I'm accepting the justification I'm offering you to live this new life where you're free from guilt, you can forgive people, you can forgive yourself, and you can forgive God, and you can make a new start where you offer pure gifts. And it's a journey. And as you pray more, and as you get closer to God, you will see more spots and stains, and you decide, you know what, I still have a bit of guilt here. I'm still feeling a bit um, burdened here. I'm not doing it purely. Let me move on. Let me get rid of this. How can I nail it? Through the blood of the Lord Jesus. Through His love. Through His full justification. Does that answer your question a bit? Kind of. Because kind of. <laughs> you're, like, you're still starting up with that feeling of like praying in a, in a, with a motivation of guilt. And you're still doing it. So like, an answer, the answer can't be don't pray. Then the answer is also don't pray for the wrong reason. Okay, so I mean, which one would you rather do? Yeah, which one would you rather get in touch with the Father and ask Him to reveal more of His justification to me, and that just, this justification can invade my barriers? I mean, if, if, somebody, if somebody comes from a very uh, cr- critical. <laughs> if somebody comes from, a, from an extremely critical background, it'd be much harder. They need to sort of pray a little bit for God to sort of some uh, <laughs> so so which one would you rather do pray and ask the Lord to sort of invade your barriers and, and um, reach out to you with his righteousness and his proper definition of uh, justification or wait until it comes your way this is what Nabil was talking about. That I'm actually exposing myself to learn more about what God wants to reveal to me. I think actually it's part of the spiritual maturity. So even if it's starting the very beginning with a, a guilt motivation and being conscientious that you are not doing things properly, by the time we are actually 
feeling and touching the grace of God, you will start enjoying it and doing it purely with happiness, not with a feeling of guilt. I will say something about this. Um, I agree that we shouldn't feel bad about the time that passed, because as Abuna said, in Christ there is a new past. He even gives you a new past. So you shouldn't feel that the past is uh, something I should feel so bad about and I feel uh, guilty about and that's it. Actually allow the Lord to redefine your past. But the other point is, obviously this is not a license to make a wrong start. It's actually a license to um, benefit from the conference and benefit from what we're talking about. And St. Paul says the same about the law. He's saying clearly, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, just and good. Hang on a second. The commandment is holy, just and good. That's another thing. When we understand the justification of the Lord that is for free and that is full, you begin to see the commandment as a holy, just and good. So you begin to see that the stuff that you're reading has a different perspective and it's becoming to be good. Maybe I'm not expanding more about this. Um, Put up your hand if you ever felt that prayer, liturgy, confession, serving is a burden a bit. Have you ever felt that this is a bit of a burden on you? A burden. A demand. Exactly. So again, St. Paul is saying, the law is holy. The commandment is holy, just and good. You won't feel the goodness and the justice in the commandment if the justification through the blood of Jesus hasn't invaded your life yet. So if you put the foundation right, then you find out that the commandment is holy and good. And as St. John says in his epistle, that his commandments are not burdensome. In Arabic, His commandments are not burdensome. St. John, how can you say that? His commandments are not burdensome? Yes, because I understand the power in me that can give me to fulfill the commandment. That they are not means to be justified anymore. I don't serve to be justified. I don't pray to be justified. I don't confess to feel better uh, and not guilty anymore. No. I'm not doing things to be justified. That's why they're not burdensome anymore. Put up your hand if that makes sense before we move on. Is that clear? Okay. Mickey. Um, the, the thing that Abuna mentioned this morning in his talk, um, I can't remember which one it was, where some guy did a heresy where he, he said that you can, your actions is what earns salvation. You can salvation just on your own. Like humans can do this. Um, so this is... No, you can earn salvation. So... Um, that's what the Pharisees did. So the Pharisees followed the law to the letter. They were so obsessed with doing and ticking all the boxes that they ended up missing the Messiah in front of them completely. And sometimes that's what we do. We look at like prayer and fasting and ticking all the boxes because the intention of doing those things is wrong. So the law or those actions themselves are not wrong in themselves if the, act, if the intention is correct. So it should be the other way around. The order is mixed up. So if we have the foundation that you're talking about, as a result, you will then do all of those good deeds. Absolutely. People will praise your father and like the gospel. Spot on. Yeah. Absolutely. If you, uh, if, um, 
if we still have this condemned conscience and approaching the prayer, liturgy, confession with a condemned conscience not washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus as the Bible says yes there will be a burden, there will be a demand uh, or there will be a, a means to, to righteousness but, and that's a burden uh, because you will never feel good enough and if you are good today you are bad tomorrow if, you, if, that's, if that, goes, that goes into what you say as well that if, if we are using the prayer, the confession, the, the liturgy, all the practices as a means to achieve righteousness and justification today you are good, tomorrow you are not so very un, unstable and, and, and you, can't, you can't buy it let's move on so if we are saying that the law is, wrong, is not wrong and it's not sin what, what is the problem as we said in the morning the problem is if the law is perceived as means to righteousness and justification that's one problem and the other problem is if the law forms the basis of the relationship between us and God do you get that point? shall we move on? as you see in this picture under the law feeling burdened by having to do or avoiding doing because this is my justification or experiencing the freedom and I came up with these two the LBR is the law based relationship the GBR is the grace based relationship just to make you remember the huge difference between LBR and GBR if my relationship with the Lord is still LBR based on the law everything is about do's and don'ts full stop I'll be like this and if my relationship is a GBR it's an entirely, entirely different um, depth and uh, openness with, with the Lord let's go let's quickly skim through the LBR people who base the relationship with the Lord on the law uh, what do you think their mindset is like I'm going to share with you a couple and you give me some the mindset of that person would be I need to work to get it. I have to do to earn this relationship, to earn his pleasure. I ought to be or do to gain mercy, forgiveness, pleasure and grace. I'm not good enough. And I'll stop here for a second. A few years ago, in psychiatry, in mental health, we used to see every um, mental disorder as separate. So someone suffering from obsession, different from someone suffering from anxiety, depression, panic, everyone is different. These, these, uh, this last 10 years, people are realizing there are common things that are shared between all these disorders. And one of the most common ones is self-esteem, low self-esteem. It's one of the most common that is found in almost the majority of, of if not all, disorders. And this belief that I'm not good enough, I will never be good enough. And as, we, as we've talked in the last conference, people have come from this background where the father figure or the mother, the mother figure were so critical, com- competitive, comparing them to others. Look at your cousin, look at your uh, friend, she, she looks better, she looks after herself better, he is smarter, he's got A's, you haven't, she's got better degrees, she's going to get better for you. All these words is our kind of um, capital or... or a heritage that we've kept and it's keeping us under the law because if I do I am loved better there's something that I do that can change the acceptance of my parents and the same applies when I grow up that I can't accept myself unless 
unless I am doing something. So, mindset will be, I'm only worthy when I am doing certain things. And I can guarantee that 90% of us have approached God with the same mindset. That I feel bad unless I do certain things. And this is, as I say, is embedded in the low self-esteem business. The mindset is thinking uh, that I'm, my starting point is I'm not accepted. And I'm trying to feel accepted. Does that make sense? Any questions so far? Okay, I'll move on. My value changes by what I do. I'm always under scrutiny. I feel that God is against me. He's not for me. And uh, we talked about this in our workshop. That um, if I am under the law-based relationship, and I'm trying to do things to please God and gain His righteousness, the problem, one one of the problems, is I don't feel that God is for me or on my side. I will, I will always feel that he's against me. And I'm trying to work to gain him on my side, or bring him on my side. It's a very hard task. It's an impossible task. And it's the wrong task. Because he's already paid the price to be your father. And his message is, I am on your side, not on the side of the sin, but I'm actually on your side to help you come out and help you be like my son, to have the image of my son in you. I'm investing in you. I haven't spared my own son for you. I'm investing in you. I'm on your side. I'm not against you. I'm I'm not trying to prove you wrong. I'm trying to give you the image of my son to to grow in you. Does that make sense? Micha? I think also adding to these, weirdly enough, it will have self-righteousness, self-justification, uh, and condemning others. Mm. Absolutely. Do you want to give us an, uh, an example? Uh, there are lots of examples that we can see in our lives, especially people who are following religions that are uh, asking for works to be justified. We find them always condemning others, always saying that others are not clean, always saying that others are not good. As, uh, I think this is something that we've all felt in relationships that you are quick to spot the problems in other people and the weaknesses because this is reflecting your own self-acceptance your own self-image if you haven't reconciled with yourself and if your, mind, if your, if your mindset is I am bad until proven otherwise I am not worthy until I do how do you think you will accept people's mistakes and, and shortcomings and, and weaknesses? Uh, and it happens a lot in marriage. I owe you the dishes, taking the rubbish out, looking after the kids after nine. You owe me cooking, um, salary, and um, looking after whatever. That's what we are doing with God. Kind of, you, I have a friend who didn't get good grades and he was very angry with God and he's saying, I gave him what he needed. I was praying, I was going to, to meetings, conferences, liturgy. Why is he not giving me back? It's a very distorted way of thinking about the relationship with God. And as I, as I put here, in that low-based relationship, there is my deeds determine the relationship. It's not the other way around. It should be the other way around. My relationship determines my actions. But in the LBR, my actions determine the relationship. 
Can you see? This is not a good, good, good quality at all. Someone raised their hand, and I can't remember who it was. Diana. No, sorry for what? My deeds thing is deeds, whether I did well or not, that would keep that relationship going? And I'll ask the question in a different way. If my if Benjamin, my son, doesn't do his homework or decides to um, throw something in the, um, on the floor or drop his um, juice on the carpet, his deeds, how much influence would that have on my relationship with him? Obviously, I would want him to do better. I might feel sad for his sake, not for my ego. God is not um, uh, thinking the way we think. And God's anger is different from our anger. Or zeal, or zeal is different from our, uh, our zeal. So, if I, if I am upset because my son is not, has not learned something, it's not affecting my relationship with him. It's not, make, it's not changing my feelings towards him. It's not changing my commitments towards him. It hasn't changed his value in my eyes. <coughs> It hasn't changed how much I will be willing tomorrow to look after him. It hasn't changed my ambition for him. It hasn't changed my vision for him. It hasn't changed my love for him. I'm not saying it changed it. And I'm not saying... So if that is constant, I'm happy. Okay. Right now, your relationship with him right now won't be impacted. But if he continues to do that, he's five, six, I don't know how old your son is. If he continues to do that at 18, 19, 30, 35 then there is no relationship. So therefore, if I take down on my relationship with God, I know that His view of me will never change. But to build a relationship, I have to do something. Oh yeah, we're not saying, uh, I'm not saying that, uh, let's put it that way, the Lord was very clear with Jerusalem. And He said, how many times I wanted, but He didn't. So, yes, I can't force my son to accept the relationship and, and live with me. If he decides, away with your commandments, away with your love, away with what you're saying, I am leaving, and I don't want anything of this, I'll be very sad. Oh, very sad. I'll be very sad. And I'll do my best to uh, show him how much value I have for him. But I, w- I won't force him. And this is what the Lord is saying. I won't force you into a relationship with me. As Abuna was saying, I have initiated... But your response is crucial. We can't have a relationship one way. If we want to grow in this relationship, you need to respond to the love and the value that I'm giving you. As David was saying in the prophet in the psalm, how can I pay the Lord back for all what has given me? I need to take this cup of. I need to enjoy this salvation. I need to start to in, to to draw this cash. I need to. Um, What's the word? I need to um, enjoy the justification and make it effective in my life. But if I disregard all this and I decide, uh, Diana, your question is spot on because that's what we do. I'm accepting you, my son. I still love you despite what you've done. 
no, that's impossible. I want to live in my misery. I don't accept myself anymore. Yes, but I love you and I am not really working on the low base relationship. Don't worry, my love is still for you. My, con- my justification can cover everything you've done. I don't accept it. I need to work hard to get it. I just don't want this. I need to invest in my work so that I can... That's what we do. I don't want to accept this. What's the result? Will I be accepting myself? No Lord, I don't accept myself. How can you accept me? Even if you accept me. Thank you for your love. I have decided not to accept myself with this weakness. It's been three years now of this habit. And I haven't given up. So I'm really sorry Lord. Thank you. You've been very kind with me. And I made that conscious decision. I don't want to accept myself. Don't we all do this? Subconsciously or consciously? That my decision is different from, uh, as we were saying in our group, the Lord, when I'm stuck in a word, obviously my English is not my first language, when I'm stuck in a word, I go to Cambridge Dictionary or Oxford. Because I know the right definition, I can't look for a better dictionary. The same happens with the Lord. He is my definition of my value. He is the right definition of who I am. He holds the right definition of justification. If I decide I don't want to look up this, this, these websites and I check Wikipedia or whatever website that is not founded or not um, um, validated, I am making a conscious choice and the Lord will not force me. But I need to remind myself, this is not the right definition. I need to go back to the textbook. And if he says so, then it is so. Mary. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I would say, um, again, it comes back again of why am I praying? My motives of why I'm praying? Why am I investing this relationship? Because if you, like, even if we put it into the worldly way, when a guy meets a girl, uh, we speak to each other because you want to know that person. You like their company. You delight in their company. So you want to keep doing it, okay? If I think, oh, this guy has been forced on me, then... I'll be grudgingly doing it because I want to please everybody else or the motive is different. So even when I'm, my deeds pray, God is going to say to me, oh, it's you did not pray for half an hour, you did not read the Bible, you did not do this, this and that. If I sat with God for 10 minutes and I was so intimate and so vulnerable with Him and spoke to Him as a close friend, to God that is a massive thing. She delights in my company. And... We, we develop, sometimes we think we're in the grace time, but I'm still developing this low-based relationship that I need to pray, I need to do this, I need to do this. Why do I need to do it? Why are you not delighting in Him? Why am I putting widgets in there? My worship can be what I'm looking no, Mary, I, I fully agree, but I'm going to rephrase the last one. Why do I need, I need to do this? As we are saying, without my participation... The relationship is still one way. The Lord hasn't changed His view, hasn't cha- hasn't taken back His offer, hasn't taken back His justification, hasn't made it pricey. No, but the relationship is not is not existing because I have to play my role. I have to respond, as Abuna said. I have to receive and respond. But you respond based on love. You respond based. On yeah, that's what we're saying. What's the motive? I want to spend time with Him, not because I'm repaying Him back for what He did. Yeah, exactly. It's not out of, I need to do it to pay him back. Monica, then Mark. Sorry. Um, okay, so what is your opinion on spiritual rule? Okay, so we'll yeah, keep that for a minute. It's coming. It's coming. It will be answered. It will be answered. Thank you. After all this waiting. Yeah. Moving chairs and hands up. And Mine's uh, that's the question more common. When you're giving that good example between you, you said it reminds me so much of the prodigal son element, which 
I think, yes, we know it very well, but I think the problem is, is on the human kind of comparable side of things, we think, well, if we did that with our fathers or with, with relationships or whatever, it takes time and investment to get to know and build a relationship. But I think that's the difference because, again, with the prodigal son, it just reminded me that he put the ring of authority back on straight on his finger, so he had authority over the staff, his status, he was reinstated. And I think that's the problem is sometimes we don't think that God knows us intimately. So even when we have been doing that, your relationship can be built immediately and intimately if you participate. And it doesn't have to be invested over so long or like how we do with human relationships. Yet we do work at it and we can enjoy it, go from not having one or thinking of not having one to going and enjoying it. I really like what you're saying, uh, Mark, about the immediacy because um, because Abuna said clearly this morning. Guys, have I lost any of you? I mean, are we all in? The, so, uh, as as I really like what you're saying. That th- sorry, uh, Randa, is it on the same point? So this immediacy. If if it wasn't God who was initiating, yes, I would have said a relationship with God is something that takes ages to be built up. It takes ages to grow in it, but because God has already initiated and has already invested and has already given me the checks, so I'm not starting the process. I'm not start- and this happens to all of us. You know what the devil says to you when you when you fall? You come back to square. What is he actually implying? That God withdrew his office, he withdrew his grace, he withdrew his love, his justification, waiting for you to initiate. That's a lie. It's a lie from the liar. The father of the liars. That's a lie. But that's what he wants you to think. So then you have to start from square one. You start from scratch. You have to initiate. And puts on you a big burden. doesn't exist. Randa. And then I'm moving on so people... I think the question about need or... It's not that he needs me to pray. Or he needs me to fast. Or he needs... He doesn't need any of those things. Like, he's initiated his love. But when I'm in prayer, I'm enjoying that part. If I keep seeing prayer and fasting and reading the Bible and liturgy as a to-do thing that I have to do, then it'll always be a to-do thing. It'll always be a task list, and that's not relation, relational. <coughs> if, if prayer is an opportunity for me to draw closer to the presence of God, then that's I need that. Because that's how I'm going to... My, de- my relationship, like you said, between the guy and... The more time I give to someone, the more I'm going to enjoy who they are and get to know them in a deep way. If I keep seeing <coughs> prayer as I've got to do, I have to do it, then it will always be a law thing, law-based relationship. But should I do it? Yes. And and maybe at the beginning it's going to be a struggle to do it, but at the, the journey is going to be each time that I pray, I I'm deepening with God. God's teaching me something new. Every time I fast, I will have struggled in the first, I could fast from this. Next time I fast, like, does that make sense? Rather than it's a good habit to fall it's, into. It's, yeah, because it's, because any, any time I'm doing that, I'm deepening my relationship with God. I think, Rhonda, I fully agree. I'm just going to uh, emphasize on the, the last point that you said, that I would stress on it, that um, uh, we, we don't have any other option. So we don't have anyone else who can offer us the justification or the free gift or the life of Christ. So even if I haven't fully grasped this after this conference, and I'm a bit confused, 
There is no alternative but to engage with that person himself and he will explain more and more to me. There is no alternative. Because he is the only one who can reveal to me, and as we will talk tomorrow about the Holy Spirit, he is the one to reveal to me the deep meaning of this justification. I make a cup of coffee to whoever gets this question right. (laughs) The dangers of LBR, without looking into your Bibles, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is? I offer the cup of coffee, of course, because I'm definitely sure that no one is going to get it right. Is the law. Yes, is the law. So, this is, <laughs> I knew that no one would get it. One of the main dangers, well done, Michael. One of the main dangers of this LBR, or law-based relationship, there are lots of dangers, we've spoken about some, but I don't want you to forget this, because we always wonder, why does sin have dominion over me, when the Lord said in Romans, as we've just recited the verse, that, uh, sorry, St. Paul said in Romans, that sin should not have dominion over you, because you are not under the law, but under the... Great, some of you are beginning to nod off, so uh, I'm going to be quick. But what does this mean? No, 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 I'll be answered, don't worry, yeah, I remember. <laughs> Do you want me to tell you what you've, uh, what you've asked to prove my point that I haven't forgotten? It's about the spiritual rule. <laughs> so, the, the law is the strength of sin. What does that mean? We will always feel weak in our fight against sin if we're always seeking to fulfill the law in our own. Absolutely. This is really key. The strength of sin is not coming from the fact that the devil is stronger than God. No. But we feel the strength and the dominion of sin because we are still under the law in our relationship with righteousness, our relationship with God. So, one of the main blessings of making the change is you will feel that sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Does that make sense? So actually, the strength of sin lies in the fact that we are bound by this law-based relationship. Is that making sense? Have I not given you now a key? Or has the Lord not given us all a key to weaken and remove the dominion of sin over us? It's a big key. So do you feel that sin has dominion over you? Review whether you are an LBR or a GBR. St. Paul says something in the same line. For sin... Taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, killed me. Sin, taken occasion by the commandment that I was living under, killed me and deceived me. Make sense? Let's move on. We've talked about damaging the relationship. And talked about this. And we said that people who work to please and get righteousness it's not counted as grace but counted as debt and as I say this happens a lot in marriage 
you owe me, I owe you, that's it, that happens a lot with God. Um, quickly moving on for the time, we said it distorts the relationship between God, me and everyone. And this is what Abuna said in the morning. St. Paul is talking about this again. In Galatians 2, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So some of us were still behaving as if the, the act of Christ, the life of Christ, is not good enough. So I need to add bits and bobs to it. It's not good enough. It's not strong enough. I need to add a little bit of work here, a little bit of my touch there. That doesn't work. It's enough. To give me the justification I need. I've been talking for 40 minutes now, so um, be quick now. Grace-based relationship. As we know, the grace we stand, Christ lives in me already. What's the mindset of the GBR? I want your attention for this. And one more thing, and then you can sleep afterwards. So, this is the first one. What is the mindset that God is calling me to have then? What is the mindset of the grace-based relationship? What, what, is God, what is God calling me to have? What is, the, what is the mindset or the attitude? Here it is. One of these, Christ lives in me. Not based on my deeds. Second one. In Christ, I will always have mercy, forgiveness, grace, acceptance. Can you find yourself able to say that? In Christ, I will always find mercy, forgiveness, grace, acceptance. Do you understand now why our church, our beautiful church, insists on adding through the Lord Jesus Christ in almost every prayer? Because it's an emphasis, it's reminding all of us that in Christ, all the prayer I had is listened to and is accepted. In Christ, I will always find mercy, forgiveness, grace, acceptance. How did you feel when you listened to this? What did, it, what did it give you in terms of feelings? How did it make you feel? I'll tell you my feeling. I felt empowered. I felt empowered. I felt someone has given me a boost to, to be a bit bold and confident. I had two feelings here. You felt secure. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice one. Feel secure. I know what, what to expect. People who had unpredictable parents, people who come from parenthood where people were drunk most of the time or um, emotionally unstable, so all the time you don't know what to get, what you're getting. Are you getting the slippers or are you getting the belt on your back or are you going to get a nice, decent comment? You don't know what you're getting. Very insecure. But uh, in Christ, you know what you're getting. Hang on a second. I have always started my prayer with uh, an essay, an introductory essay of excuses, apologies, just to make sure I pave the way and I know what I'm getting. Are you saying that in Christ I don't need this introductory essay of I have done so and so, this is my excuse, an apology, just to gain His pleasure? In Christ I always, I always find mercy Forgiveness, grace, acceptance. Is this a license to sin? Is anyone struggling with this bit yet? Is this a license to just do whatever and in Christ I'm having acceptance and everything? We will see, last slide, since Cyril uh, from Jerusalem is telling us that God has given us the grace to cherish it, to treasure it. 
But again, as we've heard in the parable of talents, in the last day, when I'm dead, and I'm facing the Lord, the Lord will tell me, I've given you the life of my son. What have you done with it? I've given you full acceptance. If Shadi says to me, Michael, you know what, uh, I really need to, I, I, I need to work with you, and I'm going to give you the pink coat for my credit card. How much, a huge trust, isn't it? Here is a credit card, and here's my pin code for it. You, I trust you, you use it. And if I have done nothing with it, in fact, I've drawn, drawn money for myself, abused it, this, there will be works that I need to do based on the grace, based on the, 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 the cash that I've been given. And as the Lord said to, to the Jews, there will be one day when the Master will come and will ask. I've labored, I've given you my son. What have you done? So, we're not saying there's no judgment day and there is no uh, um, uh, accountability, responsibility, need to do anything. It gives us more responsibility without fear. Without fear. Mina, you had a feeling about this? Uh, I was thinking of the prodigal son uh, when he came to himself in the middle of the pig pen. And like, could have said that, you know, the devil was just trying to tell him because of his guilt, because of everything, trying to hold him back. Mm. But he grew up in his father's house, so he knew his father's house. So when he came to himself, he was like, I had all of these things, forgiveness, grace, and acceptance in my father's house. He got up and went back straight away. Yeah. So I think that's what we kind of need to come to that realization that guilt is a distraction, it's mm. a chain, and we just need to really come to ourselves. And our Absolutely. I fully agree. Next one on the list. In Christ, the Father loves me a perfect love unconditionally. I'm an heir, as St. Paul says. That's a mindset of the new man. Remember last night, we talked about a new life, a new mindset, a new direction. This is the mindset of the new man. In Christ, the Father, the Heavenly Father loves me a perfect love unconditionally. Are you struggling with this? My third one. In Christ, the Holy Spirit supports, comforts, upholds, guides, and teaches me. Can you see how in Christ I have access to the Trinity? I have access to the Trinitarian life in Christ. I have access to the Holy Spirit. I have access to the love of the Father. Always. Again, hang on a second. So are you saying, if I want to pray and have a conversation with the Holy Spirit now, based on Christ, I'm allowed to do this? The answer is yes. But I have done so and so and so. This is what we've been saying. It's not because of my deeds. It's because of Christ. So, do not take the grace uh, lightly. Not to fear or worry, but actually to take it seriously. Because God has given us a huge credit card. A huge credit card to withdraw from. I've given you access to the Father's love. Access to the full acceptance. Access to the Holy Spirit. I want you to grow. I want you to leave this conference and start investing based on what you've been given. Don't try to obtain this. Don't try to earn those. You won't. You won't be able to do, to do this. You'll waste all your life. And you will earn nothing. But you need to build on what you've been given already. Make sense? All clear? Blessings of the GBR, we've said no dominion of sin, no condemnation as we'll see in Romans 8. 
peace with the Father, we've discussed that in the workshop, reconciliation with me and others, I don't think we have time, promotes forgiveness of myself as well. So again, a lot of people struggle to forgive themselves. Uh, is there a question? No? I'm going through them quickly because we've covered that. So, uh, But now being made free from sin and here is what I was saying the responsibility bit as Abuna says the accountability St. Paul didn't forget anything he's saying but now in Romans 3 but now being made sorry Romans 6 being made free from sin and became servants of servants to God you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life there's a need to bear fruit What else is the blessing of the GBR? I'm not sure if you've heard of, the, of this book. Compassionate Mind. Um, we're talking about low self-esteem. About 10 years ago, just over 10 years ago, a guy called Paul Gilbert and a lady called Deborah Lee, um, psychology uh, field, they thought, our patients don't feel compassionate towards themselves. And they felt, there's a big problem here. Every time... Because this, there's history to this. I mean, I'm not going to bore you with this, but Sigmund Freud himself said treatment is is hard because each and every time people will go back to how they see themselves. And believe it or not, believe it or not, if if this if these this pair of glasses, if this is how I see myself, the reality is most of the time I see everything through my self-image. I'll see God through my self-image. I'll see people. I'll see circumstances. I'll interpret circumstances. I'll interpret events. I'll interpret people's actions and reactions through my self-image. If this is dark, dim, distorted, broken, the chances are everything else will be looking hazy. So this man, Paul, said, well, you know what? We need to improve man's relationship with himself. And he came up with this compassionate mind to your laughter. He said, not that I'm taking or the make or making fun of it, but I think it's back to Christian basics. He's saying you should imagine a person who is having so much compassion over you, loves you, cares for you. It doesn't have to be a person you know. Just imagine a person and spend some time with that person. I write a letter to that person. Engage in this imagery just to feel loved and feel that someone has compassion over you so that you can develop this compassionate mind. We don't need this, do we? When we have the Lord Himself expressing this compassionate mind towards us. So I was having a word with Deborah Lee herself and I said, well, this is what St. Paul was saying about, talking about. And she agreed. So she knows very well. People know that the Christian basics uh, form a lot of the foundations of how people need to, to view themselves and accept themselves. So I, I'm not going to dwell on this. I had more slides. I don't know what to do now. I'm struggling. Uh, how do I find where I am? So I'll skim through this quickly. Uh, again, this is a bit of psychology for people interested. I'm committed to my time, so I have five minutes left. Uh, we look at behaviors and we look at what preceded the behavior and what's the consequence. I'm not going to dwell on, on this more. But again, one way of helping you to find where you are, am I operating under the law or under the grace? One way is to think about what has happened immediately before my behavior and what happens immediately after my behavior. For example, sin. What are the thoughts? What are the thoughts that I have immediately before sinning? 
what is this, the struggle, the, the, the argument I have in my mind? That would tell me whether I am under the law or the grace. I don't have time to elaborate. We can talk about that tomorrow maybe, a bit more, in more depth. And what happens afterwards? So if what happens after I sin immediately is a feeling of guilt and wanting to have to pay back, uh, that tells me that the relationship is not based on, uh, on grace. Same applies to prayer, same applies to liturgy, my behavior. We can elaborate on that on, on, uh, on tomorrow. We've covered this. How do, how, where am I? How do I approach others' mistakes? Approach my past? And where do I see myself in general? Again, my last question is interesting. How do I see myself in general? A lot of us don't feel satisfied with ourselves at all. And if I tell you uh, on a scale from 0 to 10, how much are you satisfied with yourself? A lot of our answers would be very low. Uh, but through the grace we are called, and th- through, through the justice, justification of the Lord Jesus we are called to have a different a different way of um, accepting ourselves there is no time to go through Matthew 18 with you we can do that tomorrow why do we prefer the law? it's easier okay it looks easier it looks easier it's comforting because there is a self uh, gain from it Yes. So there is there is a, an end to it. You think to the. Gl- I can control it. I know where to. Hmm. The sense of accomplish accomplishment. Yeah. Why do you prefer the law again? Yes, I agree with those points. Any other points before we? easier to understand and accept because it's more in line with the worldly rules that we have around us. The rule tells us that, you know, you do something, you get rewarded or you get punished. It's just it's more in line with the type of world that we live in. Absolutely. We were saying in our group that in our world we have nothing is for free. Even if, uh, if Tesco's offer you something for free, you always check, is there a catch? Is there a, a fine print? Is there something I need to read? Because we, we don't get things for free. And, uh, or there must be an agenda behind it. But again, it's a new concept. You're right. Any other reasons why we tend to prefer the law? We're, <coughs> We're in control. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel in control. There's a feeling that I'm in control. I agree, Dulagi. Anything else? Yeah, there's that feel that I've done something and I deserve something. Yeah. You're right, you missed one or two. Uh, I'm more familiar with it because I've been doing it for a while. It feeds into my, into my self-righteousness. It feels more in control, as you said. It sounds more fair. It sounds more fair. I can't do anything yet. It, it, it sounds, maybe it's a sign for me to stop. It, it sounds more fair, I'm stopping in a minute. And um, yeah, it's myth of complacency. Yeah, there's no time. So, uh, but we've forgotten the father figure kind of model. So we, we prefer the law because that's how we're brought up. 
so it feels familiar. We can relate to that. Um, so I'll stop here, and I think maybe tomorrow I'll touch on. Um, uh, I remember the question. Um, I remind you of what we spoke about. And I was going to show you how the, uh, St. Paul in, in uh, Romans 7 talked about freedom from um, the law, uh, the law-driven righteousness. But we can cover that tomorrow morning. So what we talked about, we spoke about the grace and the law, defined them, talked about how God has given us His own Son for free, but not to do nothing and not to... Um, misunderstand this as a call for complacency or laziness but actually it's a call for bearing more fruits and I remind you of the verse of the quote the quote I told you I will show you because a lovely one it says but may all be able to use that other saying but I am like a fruitful olive tree in the house of God I've trusted in the mercy of God forever can you see I've trusted in the mercy as an olive tree and full of light as then it's his part God's part to plant and water but it is your part to bear fruit the reason I love this it puts things very clear very simple way and spot on so St. Cyril of Jerusalem tells us it's God's part to plant and water you can't do this but it's our part to bear fruit and he also says it's God's job or work to grant not job, work to grant grace but yours to receive it and guard it it's yours to receive it and treasure it devoutly so can you see that there's a role for me to play there's a huge role for me to play without it, it doesn't work go back to Monica's questions, question before we, we leave you Monica is asking a question which uh, I'll ask for help to, to answer is there a room for a spiritual rule? I'll give you my, uh, my, my humble opinion and see what the winner says. Spiritual rule. But if people don't know, spiritual rule meaning, is there any good reason for us to have a discipline? A discipline may be the better word. Discipline as in, I need to pray in the morning. I need to read the Bible every day. I need to pray at night. Like some sort of discipline or there is no need for that. It would be very hard for me to open up the discussion because we'll need another 20 minutes. So I'll tell you my, my, my opinion. First of all, I need the foundation laid right. So if I'm needing, if we're arguing that we all need spiritual discipline in our life, it has to be based on the right foundation of righteousness, free gift, the grace of the Lord Jesus. That's first first point. Second one, if we are needing discipline in our life, it is not because God needs it. It's because I need it. So because I know myself, without discipline, I'll go wrong. So the, who needs discipline and rule is, the, is man. It's not God. It's not to satisfy him again because we've killed that now. So I'm doing it because I know I need some discipline. So I know, I know that this is my own... Um, this is a, based on a better understanding of me as a, as a human being. I need some discipline in life. So it's not based on um, the law telling me you must, otherwise you are unholy or you are bad. It's actually based on my understanding of my need as a man and my psychology and how I behave. Because we know for, for sure that without discipline, things go... So for example, I need organization skills at work. No, 
not that I'm good at them, but without them, there is a risk. Things will go wrong. I need to have this. I need to. I need to have set clinics, set time to see my patients in the ward, set time to have a ward round. Why do I need this? It's not because if I don't do this, the chief executive will phone me and kick me out. No, but if I don't do this, it's a mess. I'll forget patience, I'll forget to do my job, I, will, I won't be able to function. So it's based on understanding of how God created us, that we need this sort of uh, discipline. It's not be- and my third point, we are learning from people like St. Cyril, St. Anthony, St. Macarius. So there is no need to, um, to go away from, uh, from this line, the orthodoxy line, because... It is clear and simple. These are people who experienced the free gift. These are people who experienced the Lord Jesus. And they are telling us that from their own experience, they've all followed, followed um, discipline in their, um, in their life. And they didn't live an unruly life. Are there verses to support this, of course? How, how we shouldn't live an unruly life? Because we don't have an unruly God. And His design of the nature is a ruly one. Abuna, I don't know. It's, um, said about uh, we are not praying uh, to gain uh, grace we are praying because we have gained grace same applies to fasting and everything we do we are not fasting to gain Christ um, or gain righteousness but it's because we have been given this credit card this righteousness this life of Christ we are fasting does that make sense? Monica has a question for you That's a very important point. In my opinion, Monica, when, when we hear a, a, the quote that says, Love God and do what you want, this quote is obviously taken out of context, but um, um, it, in my opinion, the way I see it, is if you love God, what you want will be what God wants. 
So you're not going to go astray and there's no that dualism between what you want and God, what God wants. This quote is basically saying when you love God, what you want will be sanctified, your will will be sanctified and you will be ruling because this is the kind of God that we are dealing, we're dealing with. Uh, sorry Mark. It was just additional to that. So it's the same as uh, when it's that verse which says those who love God will get their hearts designed against anyone who's interpreted. Yep. Absolutely. Well, 